Have you ever wondered, what if this nation could be better? Uh, I find myself wondering that from time to time. And the whole purpose of this series, really, uh, that we're kicking off today, a three-part series as we're looking at America, the land of the free, is really our hope, my sincere desire uh, as we work through this series, is that we as a church family can avoid election infection. That's really what the goal is there because there's so much. I mean, we're just being bombarded, and and the noise is getting even louder. Uh, It really is. How many of you watched some of the debates, uh, caught a little bit of the debates just for the different parties? Okay, three. That's great. I'm the only nerd in the house. Uh, But but wait till the presidential elections start, uh, the presidential debates. Are you kidding? This is going to be like a train wreck you can't ever turn away from or anything like that. I can't wait. I'm going to watch every single minute. In fact, at that time, uh, my wife and I will be out of the country. I'm going to do whatever I have to to make sure that that we watch that uh, together uh, where we are. Uh, But but there's so much uh, going on right now in our nation, and and, and I thought it would be important to just take a few weeks here, especially in September as we're all back uh, off of vacation and all, and and look at some of these issues uh, when it comes to our country specifically and about the elections that are coming up and politics uh, as well. And and not to be missed on the, the 15th anniversary also of September 11th. I, I think every one of us remembers where we were on that morning, September 11th. And do you remember the aftermath? Do you remember everyone just loved everyone? Do, do you remember that, that all of a sudden these things that divide us, it just didn't matter anymore? It was like there was incredible unity all throughout our nation. And, and, and not just a, a feeling or a hunch, but a fact, our country is more divided right now than, than probably most of us can ever remember. It's just it's a hostile environment. And so if you came uh, to this series hoping, well, Pastor Greg is going to say vote for this person, uh, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be really disappointed. In fact, the title of this first message is Purple Rain. <laughs> purple Rain. You remember? Purple Rain, Purple Rain. You know what I'm thinking about? Come on, raise your hand. Purple Rain. Because, you know, we talk about red states and blue states, right? Uh, Let's just look at this map, for instance. Last election, this was between Obama and Romney, uh, the the blue states and the red states. Uh, Anyone else here resent that? I, I resent the fact that because we live in a certain place, people say, oh, you must think this way. Stereotyped. Generalities. You have to think this way because of where you live. Or you have to think this way because of where you live. Divide, divide, divide. And all of this is causing great, great problems in our nation. Because we focus on what makes us different than someone else. Instead of focusing on what really counts for time and eternity. And that's Jesus Christ. And so this message is not about the red people. And it's not about the blue people. It's not about the Republicans. It's not about the Democrats. Because I just, first point you need to know is this. God is neither. God is neither Republican or Democrat. That's why this message is purple rain. What do you get when you mix red and blue together? Purple. God's purple. 
He's not red and he's not blue, although both political parties would like to claim him as being on their side. And notice the title is not Rain, R-A-I-N, but R-E-I-G-N, Purple Rain. Because through all of this politics and all this election, God reigns. And he wants to reign in your life. And he wants to reign in my life as well. And so we have red states and we have blue states. But this is not what God looks at when he sees our nation. In fact, I mentioned Susie and I are going to be uh, out of the country. I actually have two uh, international trips coming up, uh, one later this month and one in October. And uh, Susie loves to travel. For me, it's a necessary evil. Uh, you know, I, I like staying at home. In fact, I'd be at home right now if it wasn't for needing to do this. Uh, but but I, I, I love coming back to the United States. And we love traveling and meeting. In fact, we have some friends with us this weekend from, from Ukraine that are they're staying with us for the week. Some dear friends of ours uh, that, that flew all the way, really, the other side of the world to be with us for the next uh, uh, few days and week or so. But we love, there's something about when you leave the United States, <laughs> you love it even more when you come back. Just love it. In fact, the first time, I think Susie got a picture of it, that we came back, as soon as we got to the airport, I just knelt down and I kissed the ground. And I was like, thank you, Lord. I, there, there is no other nation that I would ever live, want to live in than the United States of America. And, it, and she's not perfect. But by golly, she's the best there is. That's my personal opinion. And so purple rain. See, here's what it comes right down to. Not red, not blue. But, but the, the important thing that we need to understand is this. Jesus isn't just Lord over our spiritual life. He is Lord over all of our life. That's what it means to be a Christian. Not, not that he's just God over church time. And then we think and we act something very, very differently when we're outside the walls of the church. He's Lord. Jesus isn't Lord just over our spiritual life compartmentalized. He's Lord over all of our life. And in the United States, it's so easy for us to separate things into two categories. And here's the crazy thing. You don't find these two categories in the Bible, spiritual and secular. In fact, if you look at church history, this whole idea of certain spiritual things and then there's like secular things didn't really enter into the church until about 300 years into the Christian church. It was all one. It's all one. In, in other words, what I do when I worship also has to be consistent with how I live, also has to be consistent with how I parent, also has to be consistent in my marriage. See, see, the Bible is not just a historical book. It's not just a book of wisdom. The Bible is a book, God's Word, and it's a book that has to do with economics. It has to do with government. It has to do with family. It has to do with business. All of these things are found in God's Word. And, and so when we separate it into this understanding of secular and spiritual, and, and we do this way too much, I think, particularly in the Christian church, you know, we say, oh, that's, that's, that's uh, spiritual music, that's church music, oh, that's secular music. I, I heard a person say that one time. You know, I said, uh, they were talking about, I only listen to Christian music. I only listen to spiritual music. And I said, explain to me what that means. Like, well, the, the song has to have the words, of, has to have the name of Jesus in it. I was like, really? 
It has to have Jesus in it? Yes, it has to have Jesus in it. So you don't sing Amazing Grace? Because Amazing Grace never mentions Jesus. And it's the most well-known church song there is on the planet. His name's not even in it. God is Lord over all of it. And he's not running for office. And you can't vote him out either if you don't like his opinion on things. And so I could think of nothing else to talk about, nothing more important than, than this whole idea is purple rain. He, he reigns. And even in the mess that we see going on in the world, God reigns. And the big question for us is this, is he, am I allowing him to reign in my life? Am I allowing him to rule and reign over me? Look at this in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. I hope you have your Valley Christian Church app. You can have all these scriptures here and fill in the blanks as we work our way through here. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, if you, de if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is what? Lord, not, not Savior, not a good guy, not my best buddy or my prom date. If you, if you declare Jesus is Lord, do you know what that means? It means master. He owns me. He owns me because he bought my soul by giving his life on the cross. He's my master. He's my owner. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, watch this now, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you believe Jesus is Lord tonight? Do you believe Jesus is Lord? What that means is this. Whatever Jesus says, that's what I'm going with. And whatever he says, stay away from that, Greg. That's not good for you. I'm going to stay away from those things. That's what it means. Jesus is Lord. I love how the Christian author A.W. Tozer put it this way. Either God is Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. Jesus says, I want everything of your life or nothing. Not, not just partial. Not, not, not just the, the, the Sunday time. Not just the spiritual stuff. I want everything. Everything about you. Because either God is Lord of all or he is really not. Lord at all here's another verse that makes this point and this is all throughout scripture abundantly clear Colossians chapter 3 verse 4 says when Christ watch this now I had the guys highlight it the tech guys who is your life when Christ who is your life not a hobby not something I, 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 I you know give a nod to on the weekend when Christ who is your life appears then you also will will appear with him in glory. Is Jesus your life? In, in the Old Testament, the, the psalmist put it this way, in him we live and move and have our being. Every breath, every moment, God wants our lives surrendered to his reign. And that reign is not red, and that reign is not blue. It's purple. It's higher. Much, much higher. In fact, as I said, I love America. There, there's no other nation on this earth that I would rather be a citizen of. However, I do have dual citizenship. I do have dual citizenship. 
and, and maybe you do too. And maybe the problem is you didn't realize you do. But look at what the scripture tells us. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, but we are citizens of heaven. We're citizens of heaven. Which, no pun intended, trumps everything. Our citizenship in heaven, it, it, it's bigger than, it's grander than. It, we're citizens of heaven. And that's eternal. We're citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. Notice again, the Lord, he's king. He reigns. And we're eagerly awaiting for him to return as our savior and to get this mess fixed because we're just running it into the ground. Our citizenship is in heaven. And I'm, 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 I'm so concerned as a pastor that, that we let everyone else inform us of the opinions we're supposed to have and we never seek to hear from heaven. We, we never seek God What's your opinion about this? How do you see this? What do, what do you think about this issue? Do you know the Bible, for instance? Um, some people are not aware of it, so let me just mention it. Do you know the Bible as you cover, it covers the history of the biblical uh, record from Genesis to Revelation? Did, did you realize that it interacts with over 38 different nations? 38 different countries? Nations. That's why there's, there's, there's government all throughout the Bible. That there's economics all throughout the Bible. And it's not just a book of history. It talks about how kingdoms are run wrongly and they suffer the consequences. It talks about how kingdoms and nations are run righteously. And God says, I bless those all throughout scripture and for many of us we were just not aware of like the scope and the magnitude of the book that we have in front of us and that it speaks to all these different issues and that we are citizens of heaven so here's what I want to do in the remainder time that we have kind of introducing this idea remember Jeff Foxworthy I, my family's originally from Georgia and, and so I kind of get into that country humor and he'd do this thing you might be a redneck if you know and, and he'd say things like you might be a redneck if you know you, you find your next girlfriend at the family reunion and you might be a redneck if you know and, and things like that so someone over here got that joke the rest of you have just never been down those parts anyway but uh, so uh, I, I, I want to give you four questions to ask yourself to help you determine tonight, are you red, are you blue, or are you purple? Are you red, are you blue, or are you purple? In other words, am I more a citizen of this nation than I am God's kingdom? Am I more an American than I am a Christian? And I'll just say this, if, if we're going through these questions, you're like, oh man. I think I am more of an American than a follower of Christ. You can do something about that. Here's the amazing thing. Jesus isn't asking us to renounce our citizenship. Because here's the thing. 
the more we become like Jesus, the better Americans we become. The, the, the more we follow in the footsteps of Christ, we, we should be the most patriotic of all people. We quote this all the time, don't we? When, and, and rightfully so when, when we see a casket draped in an American flag. Greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friend. It was Jesus who said that, and he did it. And his sacrifice wasn't for a country. His sacrifice was for humanity, the ultimate sacrifice. And so I believe if we can just like, uh, with courage, look in the mirror and ask ourselves some of these questions, these four questions, I, I think, you know what, as a church family, we can begin to have an even greater impact in our community and in our nation as well. We won't do it if we're red. We won't, we won't have the impact God wants us to have in our community if we're blue. But if we're purple, if our citizenship is truly in heaven, then we will have an incredible impact on those around us and we'll have an incredible peace. And that's why we chose to do this in September and not October leading right up to November. Because I just think it's not going to get any better between now and November 6th going to get even crazier and so here, here's the first question am I too busy trying to make a point instead of making a difference am I too preoccupied with trying to convince other people to think like I do instead of what can I do to help you how can I lighten your load See, you know what? You can win an argument and lose a friend. And that friend means a whole lot more than the point you're trying to make. And so if, if, if the driving force in your life is making a point, you may be more blue and red than purple. Because Jesus did not lay his life down just to make a point. He laid his life down to make a difference in this world and to transform this world. And let me say this also. If you find yourself that you're, you're, you're too busy making a point and not so much making a difference, you know what? You're in good company. <laughs> really good company. I've done that way too many times. And you know what? We're in good company as well because there's this guy in the Bible named the Apostle Paul. And for a big part of his life, he's trying to make a point. And then God apprehends him and he starts making a difference. Jesus appears to him and he starts making a difference. And even then he kind of slipped back, just like sometimes we just slip back. Let me share with you this story. It's pretty amazing. In Acts chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 5, he's brought before the religious leaders of the day. Look at what happens. Paul looks straight at the Sanhedrin. That's like the, the legal counsel in Judaism at the time. And he said, my brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God. They're bringing him up on charges because he's sharing Christ with people. My brothers, I've fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest, Ananias, ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. What? He's like, blasphemy. And Ananias just kind of goes, and they go, and they smack him in the mouth. 
I don't know how you'd respond to that. I know how I would respond to that, okay? Pretty much the same way Paul did. Watch what Paul does. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there and judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Did I make my point and did I stutter? Right? Watch what happens. Then those who were standing near Paul said, how dare you insult God's high priest? He said it to the high priest. And watch what happens when they point out, uh, that was the high priest that said we're supposed to slap you. Paul replied, brothers, I did not realize it was the high priest. Watch this now. For it is written, still in God's word, do not speak evil about a ruler of your people. Uh-oh. You mean all those posts on Facebook? Yeah. Uh-oh. Oh, Paul realized I was trying to make a point, and I forgot God put me here to make a difference. The Bible says don't speak evil about anyone who has authority over you. No one. And Paul had to backtrack how he lashed out trying to make a point because he realized I'm supposed to be making a difference I fell short of what God expects of me as his follower you notice here the quotations because this isn't just a saying Paul is actually quoting this from the Old Testament that this statement is thousands and thousands of years old that God told his people. And it's a, it's a summary of Exodus chapter 22, verse 8. Paul says it, and this is what Exodus 22, 8 says, you must not dishonor God or curse any of your rulers. And God gave this to his people. And this has stood the test of time that God says, hold your do not speak bad of anyone who has authority over you. None of your rulers. Now, I'm not asking for a show of hands. But I'm sure every one of us has done this at least a number of times. See, I think we're a whole lot more blue and red than we are purple. This is purple rain. This is what God says. This is what I expect of my people. So much more. So am I too busy trying to make a point instead of making a difference? Here's the second question that will help us determine, am I red, am I blue, am I purple? Am I forming my opinions from government legislation, culture, family, or scripture? I remember when I was a little kid, I used to get into my fair share of trouble. And, and uh, I used to always say this until my mom was like, stop it. I used to always say, well, my friends told me I should. 
And you probably heard the same response, right? My mama say, well, if your friends told you to jump off the Brooklyn Bridge, would you do it? And it's like, no, I wouldn't do that. But how much of our lives do we hold opinions because someone told us that's the way you're supposed to think? That's the way because of where you grew up, you have to think. That's the way your mother thought, your grandmother thought, your grandparents, and you have to think the way the rest of this family thinks. Or that's the way that family on TV thinks. Or that's what the news says you're supposed to think because you live in a state that's a certain color. Instead of, God... Tell me what I'm supposed to think about this. What do you think about this? Because I want my opinions to be based on what God says, not what the news says, or my family tree says, or, or, or any other information outlet tells me I'm supposed to think. So, so am I forming my opinions from government legislation, culture, family or from God's word look at what God's word actually says about this very issue Romans chapter 12 verse 2 it says do not copy the behavior and customs of this world uh oh do not copy it in fact some translations say that do not be conformed the pressure that this world puts on you says you live here you got to think this way you're my son. You got to think this way. You have to have this opinion. This is what it means. Don't do it. Do not copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Watch. But let God transform you into the new person. How? By changing the way you think. Let God change the way you think. They will learn to know, uh, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, here's the thing. Don't anyone misunderstand this. As I, I said, Susie and I are going to be out of the country. Actually, I'm sorry, election day, we're not going to be out of the country. We're going to be uh, away in Dallas, Texas at that time at a conference. But we've already filled out all the paperwork so we can get our absentee ballot. None of this is to say don't be a part of the process. Don't, don't mishear, misunderstand that. As Christians, we should be very much a part of this process. In, in, in government and choosing government officials. But we have to allow God to inform our opinions. God to form and shape our perspectives. Not any other group conforming us to an image that they think we should be. I have a whole state, one color, really? Really? Whatever color it is, really? And I know they're talking about the Electoral College, but you know as well, it's like, man, why even bother? So many, so many Americans, why even bother? I'm not going to make any difference. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, and then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good, and it's pleasing, and it's perfect. So am I forming my opinions from government legislation, from culture, family or from scripture let me ask you a question what's one perspective that you've gained from Jesus or through the Bible that might be different from the perspective that the government says you're supposed to have or, or that your family of origin says this is the way you have to think about this 
that, 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 that you've just, in, in reading God's word, say, oh my, that's not at all the way my family thinks. That that's not at all the things that my family values. But God is saying, that's what's important to him. See, that's how we know we're not blue, we're not red, but we're purple. And we're allowing him to reign in our life and reign over our life. Here's the third question to help us to, to really kind of evaluate, are we red, are we blue, are we purple? Am I loving people the way that Jesus Christ commanded me to? Notice the word there is commanded, not suggested. Am I loving people the way that Jesus Christ commanded me to? Jesus actually said, I command you to love this way. Look at it. We've looked at this recently before in John chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus says, a new commandment, not suggestion. This isn't something to just think about, maybe, maybe not. A new commandment he gives to his followers. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. What? If, if you keep this commandment, if you live this out, if you love one another. Let me ask you a question. What is one group of people today that you're having a hard time loving? What's one group of people today that you're just struggling loving? Understand this, that's exactly who Jesus wants you to love. That's exactly who Jesus wants you and I to love. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus put it this way. You have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, oh, there's that. I, sometimes I just don't even like reading the Bible. Sometimes I wish I could just get a little knife and cut some of this out, you know? But Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That means make fun of you because you're a Christian. Torment you. Ridicule you. You're the brunt of the jokes. You're, you're, you're some kind of weirdo Christian. Pray for them. Love them. And I really wish as if that was, I was like, okay, stop. Just no more. But he kept on talking. And he went on and said, in that way you will be acting as true children of your father. For the sake of the message, in that way you will be acting purple not red not blue purple true children of your father for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good and he sends rain to the just and the unjust alike and he goes on and he says if you love only those who love you what reward is that what reward is there for that even corrupt tax collectors do that much do you even back in, then IRS agents were loving people that love them that's that's the most common modern day parallel 
He says, even tax collectors, corrupt tax collectors, love people who love them. But he goes on and he says, if you are, or if you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Even people that reject God love people that love them. Like people that agree with them. <clears throat> Jesus says, if you just love people who love you and you only like people who agree with you, you, you may be red, you may be blue, but you're, 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 you're not purple. Because my followers, they're going to love their enemies. My true followers are going to bless those who persecute them. My kingdom, Jesus said, is not of this world. It's so much higher. And so I ask you, where's your citizenship? Am I loving people the way that Jesus commanded me to love people? And here's the fourth question that'll help us to evaluate, are we more blue or red or purple? The fourth question, am I praying for my leaders the way God instructs me to? Am I praying for my leaders the way that God instructs me to? I, I, I've heard people, well-meaning people say it this way, listen, if you have no right to, to uh, disagree, you have no right to voice your opinion unless you vote. Well, that works as an American, but it doesn't work as a Christian. Because as a Christian, you have no right to criticize, period. Yeah, you have no right to speak wrong of someone who's a ruler over you, period. Am I praying for my leaders? That's, that's the whole thing. God's saying, we're supposed to be praying for those who rule over us. And not like, oh, God, save that wretched person. That's not what he's meaning. Give him wisdom. Give courage. In, in, in the face of all kinds of pressure that, listen, let's be honest, I don't think anyone of us can imagine the immense pressure that our elected officials live under day in and day out. Incredible pressure. We were talking about it today at lunch with the staff. You ever seen these pictures of like, it doesn't matter who president, what the president is. If it's a two-term president, what they look like on their inauguration day, and like what they look like eight years later, it's like, oh my gosh, that's, it was only eight years. It looked like it was 80 years. Just the, the pressure. Incredible pressure. I, I, I feel like sometimes, you know, uh, leading this church, pastoring a church, over a thousand people, I feel like there's certain weight on my shoulders. I can't even imagine. I cannot even imagine. But this is what the scripture says. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 5, first of all, I encourage you to make petitions, prayers, intercessions, and prayers of thanks for all people. We're supposed to pray for people. It's a big part of what we're supposed to do in our prayers. And then it goes on and says, for rulers... We're supposed to be praying for those who rule over us and for everyone who has authority over us. Pray for these people so that we can have a quiet and peaceful life, always live in godly and a reverent way. Let me just complete the, the passage here. 
And it goes on and says, this is good and pleases God our Savior. He wants all people to be saved and learn the truth. It goes on and it says, there is one God. And there is also one mediator between God and humans, a human, Christ Jesus. And don't misunderstand that as he's saying he wasn't fully God. The Christ means Christos. It means the anointed one, the Messiah. He's God himself. Fully man and fully God. We're supposed to be praying for our leaders. Not just once, not just around election time. Day in and day out praying because that's what purple people do do that's what Christians do and, and, and listen just so, just so we understand the context who was the leaders at the time that this letter was written to the church of Ephesus to the pastor uh, of, of the church of Ephesus Timothy it was Caesar and he was murdering Christians in fact, Nero used to have Christians tied on crosses in his garden, put tar all over them, and burnt alive for light in his garden. And it's into this context. Pray for those who rule over you. Pray for them. And do you know what happened? If you know church history, you know they did. And, and this ragtag movement of just a handful of people on the day of Pentecost when Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit upon them they turned the world upside down and that bloodthirsty Roman Empire imploded just a few generations after that they went out and lived the way Jesus commanded them to live and I'll tell you this they weren't red and they weren't they weren't uh, blue they were purple and they said God reign in my life and reign through my life see I love this nation and I pray and I believe the best days are still to come. But the only thing that change is ever going to happen is for us as the blood-bought followers of Jesus Christ to start acting like it. To be the people that we're supposed to be. To love the way that he told us to love. To pray the way he told us to pray to bless the way he told us to bless and to live the way he instructed us to live. So who's one person that you can commit to, sincerely pray for every day this week that is the hardest person for you to possibly pray for? That's who you need to start praying for. See, we can pray for our government and our leaders and at the same time, we don't have to put our hope in them. We put our hope in Jesus. Because he is the king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Republicans, Democrats, left, right, we're all precious in his sight. This political season, I believe we have an opportunity 
to showcase our political diversity in a way that honors God who made us so diverse. And if we get this right, and we live the way God really designed and wants you and I to live as his followers, then we'll learn something. But more than just learning something, our community will see something that it so desperately needs to see. We'll become a more generous and a more loving people. But if we fail, get this wrong we will be nothing more than an average church safe inside their walls making no difference at all in the community in which we live I know that's not the Valley family that I love I know that's not the church family that we are so I think it's time I think it's time right now for us to bow our heads and to pray Heavenly Father Lord first of all as we look inside your word Lord I, I, I don't think there's anyone as we've just looked at some of these passages tonight that, that we're not feeling so good about ourselves right now I, I don't think there's anyone that's not feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit right now Father, we turn to you and we ask you first of all to forgive us because we fall short, because we have allowed our culture and government and media to tell us what we're supposed to think, tell us what we're supposed to believe, and we haven't looked into your word. Lord, we ask for help, Lord, not to keep trying to make points, but to really make a difference. But Lord, May your Holy Spirit just ooze out of our pores as we love the people that you commanded us to, not those that agree with us all the time or like us, but even our enemies, even those who persecute us. And Lord, may we commit to pray for our leaders that you've allowed to be over us, not in some sort of backhanded way, but Lord, truly that we would ask you to give them courage Give them wisdom. Give them wise counselors, Father. And Lord, may we as your children be the best citizens of this nation that there possibly could be because we recognize our dual citizenship, not just in these United States of America, but also, Father, in your heavenly courts where one day we will be with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.